Welcome to React Roundup. I'm your host, Jack Harrington, and with me today is my esteemed colleague, TJ Mantol. Hey, everybody. As well as Sam Magura. Hi, Sam. Hi. Yeah. So, Sam, you did a blog post recently around CSS in JS. So, yep. yeah, you want to talk a little bit about that, and then we can kind of see how that segues into other things. Yeah, sure. So I wrote this post in October. It was titled, Why We're Breaking Up with CSS and JS. And it's kind of a combination of my personal journey with the technology and then also at my company spot, like how I saw them using the technology and how I eventually realized that it was really harming us in terms of runtime performance of our React app. But yeah, so the post, I basically just went through like, you know, what's attractive about this technology, which is like you get the locally scoped styles, you can use JavaScript variables in your styles, you can put the styles right in the same TSX file as your component. Like there's a lot of convenience that comes with it, but there's also a lot of nasty things that come with it. Like, uh, so I was actually a contributor to the Emotion Project, which is the second oh, wow. most popular. Like, so you were, you were bought in. Oh yeah, I, I was way in. Yeah, I was like the pretty much the number two contributor to that project for about a year, which oh. isn't saying a ton because the project is not, it receives like critical maintenance only, basically. It's very hard to contribute to. Like it's still written in flow and... Uh, oh, no way, really? It is, yeah. I was actually working on converting it to TypeScript, but it was a huge task. I'm guessing yeah. a lot of people are looking don't even know what flow is, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> TypeScript. Yeah. The Facebook well, version of TypeScript. Yeah. Yeah. To take even a bigger step back, we I want to start by just saying we should define CSS in JavaScript. Yeah, just so for, yeah. for our very basics, like what like let's say maybe you can get us started with like what is the what is the tech? Like I guess we can focus on the positive too early. Like what sort of things drew you in? Maybe give some like real yeah. world examples of how you've used it sort of successfully. Yeah. I mean, so just at a super basic level, I mean, back in the old days, you had your HTML file, you had your CSS file. They were separate things. You wrote classes in the CSS that applied to the HTML. But I'm not really sure what caused people to think we should start writing those CSS classes inside of our JavaScript. But that's really what it is. I mean, I think they okay. just wanted, I just wanted in a single file. Yeah, it is pretty nice. Yeah, like you had to have this external CSS file and it was either in the same directory. Now you got like a directory per component. It was a huge pain in the butt. Yeah, and I mean, CSS organization is like a historic pain point for oh, yeah, any definitely. any large company, any large app. So you have like different CSS structures and but the, like those those can get hard, especially yeah, like on large teams. Right. And then you end up with this situation where it's like, oh, crap. What is what styles are even controlling this random header or button I'm in? Like it might be in three different files in three different places, and yeah. it's, it's a, it's a challenge that we've had for a long time. Definitely, yeah. And I think the core challenge there is that CSS is global by default. Mm -hmm. So you style your class dot my button. Anything in your entire huge enterprise app that has that class is getting those styles, and so CSS. And JS kind of fixes that by making styles locally scoped by default. And it does that by generating like a artificial class name for each piece of CSS that you write. And so that's one of the big appeals to it, in addition to being in the same file as your uh, React or other JavaScript code. It amazes me how much we've done to get around cascading 
in mm. cascading style sheets. That is really you know? true. Yeah. Right? That was supposed to be the benefit. You're supposed <laughs> to be able to create, create like a body tag that has, you know, the right font and then everything, you know, cascades from that. You know? mm-hmm. But we want to get around it. So, yeah, we, we did the CSS and JS. So why is it inefficient? Did you drill down into the actual implementation and find out like... So I profiled some of our components that we're using it heavily. I didn't like thoroughly profile emotion itself, but I do have some pretty good guesses for why it's not performant. So one of them is you write like a CSS string or an object style in your JavaScript code, and then emotion has to convert that to a serialized style is what it's called in the code base, which is like a piece of CSS text that can be directly inserted into the document. And the way it's shown in the emotion documentation and how I think a lot of people do it is that that style serialization happens on every render of your React component. So if your component's rendering, you know, 15 times per second, it's doing all this work to serialize those styles for every tag that you use CSS and JS on, on every render. And so I think that's a big performance cost. And then another one, which is much harder to observe is that uh, like the way almost every CSS and JS library works, even compile time ones, is when a component mounts, it inserts its style into the DOM. And browsers like to cache like all of the style rules for a page. And so whenever you have a new component mount, it inserts new style rules, and that invalidates this kind of internal browser caching mechanism which causes the browser to have to redo a lot of work. So that's, it's hard to see that really in practice, but that is another performance impact from it. Yeah, I think it's it's funny because at its core, the CSS and JavaScript is somewhat replacing some of the browser's built-in ways of handling these processes because mm-hmm. the browser, by default, the browser is going to handle the CSS sort of parsing and applying it to things. And essentially, you're somewhat replicating that in JavaScript. And the difference yeah. there is if the browser is doing it, it's like optimized yeah, C++. It's, yeah. It, yeah, that's running <laughs> that's running in the background that's doing this on your behalf. And if JavaScript is doing it, it's first of all, more code for the user to download, mm-hmm. um, just the, the download time. But I think the bigger cost is the, like, like you said, the runtime nature of this, because JavaScript's just got to do more work that otherwise it would just defer to the browser to take yep. care of. And also the stuff the browser is doing is totally separated from the React render loop. But if you're serializing those styles in render, it's happening every render, which you you want to limit what happens every render as much as possible. Yeah, the browser can multi-thread the, the handling of, of some of this stuff, whereas your JavaScript code is not. It's yeah. that, that stuff's just got to happen. And I think, too, that it's it's another one of those situations where it really depends on the scale you're operating with, I feel like, because just to take the simplest example, if you're building Hello World with CSS and JS and you're adding one or two components, there's like a 0% chance you're going to notice any performance issues oh, yeah. because it's going to it's gonna parse like a small group of styles. It's going to paint them. It's going to do them in like two milliseconds. It's, mm-hmm. it's not going to be human perceivable. No one's going to care. And that's probably true even up to, I mean, my guess would be even to like small websites that it's almost going to be somewhat negligible. Yep. But I'm, I'm curious, like, what was your flag? Like, what sort of cued you into this? Because it's uh, that this might be a problem that, that this might be something that 
you needed to investigate? Were you getting like user reports of problems? Was it starting to get to the point where you could like visually see differences or? That is a really good question. And I'm going to have to think very hard back in my memory to remember (laughs) why. So yeah, we, we have a pretty big app at Spot and I was tasked with just improving the performance of the app overall. Mm, And so I was both looking at things like, you know, using a service worker for caching and also like, you know, once the app is loaded, how do we optimize the rendering of these React components? And so I think I started where everyone should start, which is using the React DevTools profiler. And in that profiler, I saw that, so at Spot, we weren't just using Emotion like directly on DOM elements. We had all of these kind of style primitive components like box and flex and typography and heading one, heading two, which are actually React components that uh, we're using Emotion to apply styles. And I just saw that these little components were actually a kind of non-trivial amount of our render times in the profiler. And so that's what caused me to be like, all right, I'm going to take this page, I'm going to rewrite it with plain CSS, and I'm going to compare the performance. And that was really like the kind of aha moment where I was like, that cut the render time in half. Oh, wow. So half of our time rendering this component was just attaching CSS to these box components and these flex components and these typography components. And it's like, we were really deriving very little value from those components over like using something like CSS modules or utility classes, which would have been much more performant. And so big cost, little value. Yeah, yeah it wasn't the existence of box that, like, because I think folks... Like we want, I think there's a, a sentiment out there where we want to reduce the number of components overall. Like there's some overhead, yeah. natural overhead to, to to components. What you're saying is the fact that there was a box, that's fine. It was the fact that we had that we were laying out box with this particular method of CSS that was the problem. I think that's kind of a complex issue. So yes, the the fact that we were using CSS and JS inside of that box component was the main problem. I think the total number of components is really maybe focused on too much. Like uh, just in my experimentation, like React is very efficient with dealing with large number of components. And then the third thing I would say, though, is like if you have a component called box, you're going to want to style it with props, which means you're either using CSS and JS or you're using inline styles, neither of which are ideal for performance. But at least inline styles don't really hurt your render times. It's only more of a browser performance thing. It's funny. The other thing you have listed in your article is that Mm -hmm. is how CSS and JavaScript clutters the React dev tools. And that's something I ran into before as well. And it seems like such a small thing, but like those sort of developer conveniences can really just make your life more difficult. And those definitely those little things like that do do legitimately translate into lost time, lost productivity, lost money, all those sorts of things, because you don't want to be sifting through all these uh, from your image, like insertion, emotion, CSS, because mm-hmm. then you're looking at this and your brain loses any construct of like what this component tree actually is, because it just yeah. it's, just looks like a hot mess. The signal to noise ratio is just really low there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like if we're using this technology because we feel like it has a better developer experience, then it it really is fair to criticize it and that, well, the developer experience is not better when you're using the dev tools. So then I'm curious, then you've you identify these problems, you you decide that there is some definite performance gains to be made. I I do want to get in a chat of like 
what's your what sort of things you do recommend now or what other things you investigated but i'm curious your mm-hmm. process of if to choose to migrate away from that like what is that process like did you end up converting the app or is that something that's in progress how much of a pain yeah. did that end up being so i guess i'll start with like what do i recommend now yes, which please. is what is the magic answer? Well, yes. we'll I guess yeah. I'll go convert all of my apps. Basically, CSS modules are the magic answer for me. I mean, they provide the locally scoped styles. They, I mean, you don't have to do it this way, but a lot of people will write a CSS module right next to the uh, component. Yeah. So like yeah. you have mybutton.tsx, mybutton.module.css. It's like, it's not in the same file, but it still keeps things closely tied to each other so that it's not confusing. And I like the extra power that SAS gives you. So I actually do CSS modules with SAS. But I mean, if you don't like SAS, you don't have to use it. Uh, that's just kind of like a extra syntactic sugar on top. And then I do kind of like utility classes for really simple things like you want to make this div uh, have display flex. Like it's annoying to have to define a CSS class for that. So I do think utility classes have their place. We are using kind of a forked version of the bootstrap utility classes, uh, which was mainly because that's what I was familiar with having used bootstrap for many years. Of course, Tailwind is the most popular utility class framework. Yeah, which I have some opinions on Tailwind. (laughs) I haven't used it that that much. But uh, yeah, I mean, they even say this in their docs, like, it's effectively like writing inline styles. So you end up with a lot of duplication. And I'm sure someone who loves Tailwind would tell me why my opinion is wrong, that that's a bad thing. But yeah, I just feel like uh, a huge benefit of CSS is that you can define a class once and then use it in 100 places. And I just don't really see how you're supposed to do that with Tailwind. Well, well Jack likes Tailwind, so I'm, I'm, waiting, to, I'm waiting to hear the, defa- I'm waiting to hear the defense like here. I'm conflicted about it because on the one hand, I love like MX-2, right? That's just, it's mm-hmm. so nice. Like, I, you know, just throw That's that into right. a class and you're good, right? But then when I look at like a button and the button's got like 40 classes on it and it's, it's just like, <laughs> what is going on? You know, and so it, it's very, it's like, it's like cognitive dissonance when it comes to this. I just, I, 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 you know, it's hard for me to justify it, really. So, yes, I like it, but I also don't like it. Yeah, so I guess we're using a more of a pared down utility class approach where we do have the MX-2, but we're not trying to apply all of a button styles just with the utility classes. We just, you know, use CSS modules for more complex things like that. Right, I, I think actually... If I if there was yeah you know, and I'm sure you can do this but you can just basically take Tailwind and take all of the like because there's there's definitely there's there's CSS that's like layout mm-hmm. and there's there's CSS that's styling and I'd like to have the CSS that's styling kind of be one thing and that layout thing the MX2 or whatever I, I think that that's really handy just being able to say like flex flex blah 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 and you're good like that that would be great. Yeah, sounds like it's something like what you've got. You've got basically CSS modules plus that. Yeah. So kind of the way I do it is like if I can write all of the styles for this element just with a few utility classes, I'll do it that way. But if I get to the point where I I need to apply a style that can't be done with our utility classes, then I'll just write all the styles for that element in plain CSS or CSS modules, really. So yeah, I don't really divide it like you do between um, 
these are styling attributes and these are layout attributes, but that is a good way to think about it. I'm curious, have you experimented with Svelte at all in the way it approaches CSS? Because <laughs> I have not, so I don't know anything about that. It's fun because it's, I'm, I'm also a fan of your approach. When I, for the big React app I work on, we use the exact same approach. We have CSS nice. modules that are with SAS. We like SAS too, because it's just some of the niceties, mm -hmm. syntax niceties and like variables and stuff like that uh, tend to be really nice. But I've got a small little utility app that I worked on last year in Svelte, and they do styles that are scope styles, but you can write them in the same file. And then it comes, though, as I understand it, and this I'm also not the world's biggest Svelte expert, but it's it sort of like bakes, bakes them into the components. So I don't think, and this is the part where we need our listeners to like fact check us, on it, but I, <laughs> I don't think it comes with some of the baggage of like the CSS in, in JavaScript approach. Cause I, as I understand it, it kind of almost generates a module for you that's scoped, but, okay. uh, and it also works a lot like view cause view lets you do something similar as well, where you just write a style in their file. I think as I, as I'm talking now, I'm like starting to doubt myself. Uh -huh. Well, <laughs> I mean, this is react roundup. We don't have to know about other frameworks. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although we end up talking about it so often <laughs> yeah no i, I think it's I, I mean i don't think there's a single react developer i, I think it's important to know a bit about the broader ecosystem right because react oh, yeah. yeah not always the right tool tool for it but it does show when i try to speak from a position of authority on things that i've only uh toyed with here or there. <laughs> yeah but i think the other thing you asked tj was how are we migrating our app from yeah. this like heavily css and js approach to more of the CSS modules and utility classes. And it hasn't been a like, all right, drop everything. We're going to rewrite the whole app using CSS modules right now. It's like we were already using CSS modules for some things. So it's more like if we add a new component or heavily rework a component, we're going to convert it to the new styling system. But we're not like aggressively trying to remove every instance of that box component, which I think there's still probably like a thousand times that we use that box yeah. in the code base. I'm kind of surprised, though. So, I mean, wouldn't you just change box once and, and get the, the fix everywhere? Right. That's the problem, though, that I spoke about earlier, which is, like, so box takes in all sorts of props, like oh, uh, okay. flex and padding and margin. And so if you want to rewrite that component without using CSS and JS, you would basically have to use inline styles, which honestly would probably be more performant, but inline styles are still not ideal when you have those same inline styles applied to many elements. So that's why we didn't like go with that approach, though that would have been a quicker way to extract the CSS and JS from the code base. That makes sense. It's interesting, too, because this actually strikes me. We talk to a lot of people. A lot of people end up on this show because they've migrated from some technology to another technology. <laughs> it's like a common pattern, I guess, of <laughs> of guests or just reasons people reach out. Mm -hmm. This actually strikes me as one of the somewhat simpler migrations because like you're, these two technologies can easily coexist. Exactly. Um, whereas like in some other cases, like we've had some people migrate JavaScript to TypeScript or uh, Angular to React or th those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And nice. those are things where they're solvable problems, but you have to get kind of creative in how you approach this. Whereas this, it's just like, I could totally see it being like a backlog item. If you're there, mm -hmm. touch it, 
uh, probably at some point, you, once you get to a reasonable number, there probably will be some, put some intern on the last one, the last pass <laughs> of getting rid yeah. of all of them. Yeah, it's a very easy migration. Yeah, I think JavaScript to TypeScript is hard, but it's not undoable because you can have a mix. But uh, when you said Angular to React, that that sounds horrifying. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember what episode it was, but we had somebody that they were they were using both were uh, rendering on the same time on the same page, and they wow. had it working. So you can get that is wild. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys played around with Next.js 13 at all in the in the new app directory. I have not. I have. Yeah. 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 So their default thing is module based CSS, right? But that's out of the box. And I think it was out of the box too for the pages directory. I think that's always just yep. been there their shtick, but emotion and CSS and JS just clearly don't work. And anything built on top of it don't work either. Mm. In as a, you gotta go, you gotta switch it into the client mode, which is terrible. Even the the the, the CSS and JS extracted stuff, which I think is supposed to take away some of the performance issues that we're talking about, like vanilla extract. Um, yeah. That doesn't work either. Even so, that doesn't work. Wow. Yeah. I mean I I, I really tried, honestly. There's like a some some sort of, it, it when you get to vanilla extract, that's actually when you start getting into the, the whole world of the, the SWC issues with the compiler. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a mess. Yeah, I really want to use SWC for everything. But then, like, you run into any library that needs some kind of compiler transform, and oh, yeah. it's back to Babel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. What is SWC? What am I? What am I missing here? It's an alternative compiler. I think it's written in Rust, I want to say. Yeah, it's that Rust. One. It's tough to know Rust or Go nowadays, <laughs> you know, which one's trying to eat the JavaScript ecosystem as a new whatever. But yeah, it basically, it, it's a transpiler. I don't think it has type checking. I don't think it does type checking, but it does TypeScript you know, language removal and transpiling. Yeah, and then there's also ES build is another one. I don't. I think that's kind mm -hmm. of falling to the wayside. But next, next picked desk, uh, SWC, and that's kind of given it a lot of impetus. Okay, because it's next. Yeah. Anything next does we're in. Well, and then the <laughs> so then the server rendering part is that's because in because it's server rendering the page, it can't like bake in the the JavaScript handling of the styles more or less it would be the reason why the CSS and JS stuff doesn't work mm -hmm. or is it just that the next team is like chosen not to build in the integrations necessary to make it happen they actually have a documentation page specifically around this I had, i'm sorry to dominate dominate the you know the podcast um they have they have a documentation page around this for css and js and apparently the issue is that it is incompatible with react 18's concurrency mode mm. not that i mean there's a whole thing around concurrency and there's, it's no longer a mode. Yeah. It's kind of weird, but whatever. It's incompatible with that, and therefore it's incompatible with React server components. And, and there you go. And so CSS modules for everybody. I'm a bit surprised about the comment that it's not compatible with uh, React concurrent mode because Emotion should be compatible with that using use insertion effect, which is like a hook that they added specifically to make CSS and JS work in concurrent mode. But um. There's just a huge amount of complexity around server-side rendering with CSS and JS, so it's really not surprising to me that it doesn't work. I mean, like back when I was uh, trying to fix issues in the Emotion project, we would just get issue after issue about SSR not working with different frameworks. So yeah, I have a feeling it would be a lot of work for the next JS team to get that working with the new app directory, and so it's probably just not worth the cost. Yeah. So then the other thing you brought up 
is some of these the compile the compile time CSS and JavaScript frameworks. Yeah. So maybe Sam, you could explain like what those are, like what the difference in approach is, and maybe how they yeah. work. So caveat or uh, disclaimer: I haven't directly used any of these libraries, but compile time CSS and JS is like basically you want to write the same code that you were doing with emotion or style components, but instead of that being converted to plain CSS at runtime, we want to do it at build time instead so that the end user doesn't pay the performance cost. And so it sounds like a really good idea, and I think it is a better idea, but there's still some downsides to it, like going back to the box component where it takes in a prop called background color. If you're providing a different background color every time you use the box, there's no way to statically extract that style. Like it's just not known at compile time what the background color is. And so these compile time libraries, they're able to statically extract a lot of styles, but in the case of like a style that is from a prop, they just have to, they basically would uh, set background color equals variable background color in the CSS, and then they would use an inline style to define a CSS variable that sets the background color. So they basically fall back to inline styles when they have to. So that's one of the problems. And then um, another one is you still have that issue of your inside inserting new styles when a new component mounts, which invalidates that browser caching thing I talked about. So I think it's an improvement, but it still has some of the downsides of traditional runtime CSS and JS. Yeah, I feel like it's closer because that it, to me, this approach feels like it should be the holy grail because yeah, I kind right. of, I almost wonder if somebody will eventually nail this approach and that it can get it to mm-hmm. take off because it seems me, me very naively looking at this problem. I feel like there should be some way where I can define my styles in my component and some magical tool will extract them, place them into like some global style sheet, but maintain this like generated dynamic name. So it's it's like pseudo scoped mm-hmm. and that those styles will be available uh, for that component. And I don't I don't know if you can solve the dynamic styling. That part might be tricky, yeah. but it, it feels like even if you could just get static styles in a way where you can define them in the components, they get registered globally, and I don't pay any of the runtime performance penalties, that would be my sort of ideal workflow yeah. for working with this. And I don't know if we're quite there yet. I think some of those libraries are close to that. I don't know if they'll ever be able to reach exactly that ideal that you're speaking of. Yeah, because it has to almost like, you almost need like a Next.js level tool that controls everything for you to to kind mm-hmm. of pull that off like a sort of an isolated tool doesn't control enough i feel like to to almost be able to pull yeah. that off it's tough and there's i think there's a lot of self-discipline required to stick to static styles that can <laughs> be extracted and not just use dynamic styles all over the place yeah yeah that's that's problematic because it's so easy mm-hmm. you know if you have yeah. those like properties on it it's just you know, when it's this, make it roundy. When it's that, yeah, <laughs> it's nice. I don't know. Like, I feel like a tool could maybe enforce that. And I mean, inline styles exist for a reason. They're not like, yeah, they they're do. not evil. I mean, <laughs> if there's legitimate use cases of them where you might want to to switch display on and off or like mm-hmm. things like that. So I don't know. Yeah, I still maintain. They're totally styles. valid. They're use cases where I mean, you definitely should be using inline styles. It's just like. You never want inline styles to be the foundation of all of your styling for your whole Yeah, app. I do agree with that. Sam, another question for you. I'm, I'm curious, what made you want to write this up? Because I'll be honest, I thought this was 
a really excellent article. You've got like, I don't know if Thank you. I don't know if you ever desire this, but you've got a future in like marketing or DevRel because you got like a nice, <laughs> nice clickbaity title, nicely organized. <laughs> nice, nice, you know, that's so, art. It's like marketing. I know is an evil word, but you've you've got a, a talent for it. So I guess what made you want to to sort of share and talk about this? Yeah. So um, really, two main factors. I guess the smaller one is that uh, my boss Gordon at Spot was like hey, this would be a good blog post. You should write this up and we'll post it on our, our blog. And uh, we did actually get like a customer lead through oh, nice. someone who had read the blog post. So, <laughs> But nice. the bigger thing was like, I kind of felt like this was a big problem that no one was talking about. And as someone who had like advocated a lot for CSS and JS in the past, I felt like someone needed to like, just not try to tear down this technology, but just inform people that, if you use it this way, there is a significant runtime cost. And so I felt like I needed to tell people about that. It's I'm sort of fascinated that no one had sort of wrote this story earlier. Because I feel like, and, and even just take 30 seconds in the comments and you see people that are chiming in with their own stories of this sort of thing. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to me that this hasn't come up before uh, and that more people aren't. Yeah, I mean, it was surprising. Because I mean, CSS and JavaScript has a huge number of users, right? It's a, it's mm-hmm. just as a general technology, it's, it's fairly widespread. And I'm positive there are tons of big organizations that are relying on this now. So I'm, I'm just surprised that uh, it has not come up. Yeah. And the thing is, even if you're not using it directly, you still might be using it because there are big component libraries like MUI yeah. is the one that comes to mind that yeah. it's all powered by style components or emotion. And uh, I know there's other ones that are the same way. Yeah, Chakra, all of it. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I figured out that CSS and JS and Emotion were the problem. You try to you know bring up Next.js 13 and you're like, great, this is awesome. React server components are great. Now I want to just use my material UI just because I'm, <laughs> you know, it looks decent, whatever. And you bring that in and kaboom, right away. Yep. And you just try to add a button <laughs> to a page. And it, and it was a little scary too because it's, complaining about create context i'm like oh my god does context not at all work and that turned out to be kind of a lark because it's actually just around this concurrency mode blah, blah blah but it was it was scary yeah that's definitely not a good like uh first time using next 13 experience right i'm sure they would like to avoid <laughs> that yeah i'm curious what you learned from the feedback you've gotten from this article because there there are a whole lot of comments here and i know you've probably heard on social media and stuff about this like what well, what's been the reception i'm sure there's been some <laughs> yeah i felt like the reception to this article is very positive i i've done articles in the past and kind of learned don't say anything controversial unless you really can back it up because people will roast you on that thing that you said and so I managed to stay fairly non-controversial on this post, except for one thing, which is I quoted, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Sebastian Mark Badge, one of the like React team guys about the problems of CSS and JS in concurrent mode. And I unintentionally took that quote out of context and kind Uh-oh. of misrepresented it. And But it was such a subtle and like such a, a advanced thing that the only person who called me out on it was uh, Dan Abramov. Oh, so, shoot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he tweeted about my article and uh, I 
I felt like so like nervous after that. I was like, oh my God, I got to like race home and like fix the thing in the article that's wrong. And he, he had just pointed out that I had described the problem without mentioning the solution that the React team had uh, implemented for that problem. And yeah, so it's a bit nerve wracking, but also cool to have been noticed by like the React guy. <laughs> that is very fun. I think Dan is like addicted to it's amazing how many times I've seen him just nitpicking random React articles. And I, it just <laughs> my mind like he must must have like Google alerts for these things and sits around. And <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of fascinating. I kind of get where mm-hmm. he's going, though. I mean, in a way, you kind of got to defend React and, and these things sort of things can spin out of control. You yeah, know? like there is definitely a, a culture of old wives tales when it comes to software engineering and, and web engineering in particular, like the whole, you know, you have to do SEO, SSR to be good for SEO kind of old wives tale. And it's like, that that's thing an was, old wives tale. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I could never get a solid answer to that question. Whether no, no Google for like a whole, like almost a decade now has been parsing client okay. side. It's, it's fine. But you know, I think, you know, there's an SEO community out there that's not technical. It's more about like tagging and stuff. And they, their basically thing is they just tell the engineers, hey, we just need SSR. Mm-hmm. That's because that's what we've been told, <laughs> whatever. And the engineer's like, I don't want to fight it, you know, SSR. But yeah, so there's, if, if you've let these things kind of get out, then, you know, people will start quoting it and quoting it and quoting it and quoting it and it just <laughs> explodes. And so I, I can imagine why. I, I don't know what this particular thing was, but I can, I, I can certainly see Dan wanting to do that. I guess it's his, his job in a way. <laughs> well, I think that's yeah. kind of like the, the quirk about him that's made him who he is is just his like superhuman dedication and the effort he puts into it. So you have to. I, I, mean, th- I was thinking about React. Isn't it like basically? I mean, it's the number one web platform outside of like jQuery, <laughs> like in, in existence. Like it's just. I mean, it's it's a huge platform. Just like there's there's millions and millions and millions of downloads. Yeah, yeah, way ahead of Angular or Vue. Oh yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable that we programming languages like on the back and we have so many competing technologies. It's like every company kind of uses a different language. But React is like kind of a unifying factor in that not everyone uses it. There are other popular frameworks, but it's really like dominating that market, so to speak. Yeah, you don't see like go and run, you know, like I, you know, there's definitely like a, a whole culture out there of using go as the new kind of Java to do like microservices and that mm-hmm. stuff. And a lot of examples you see, it's like react on top of go. It's not like they've, they've decided that, Oh, we're going to create our new, you know, go based web framework. No, no, no. We're not even, we're not going to try to compete with, <laughs> with react on the front end. We're just going to grant them the web and we'll just be the, be, the, the folks in the back. Yeah. Well, it's, pretty challenging to compete with JavaScript in the browser. I mean, Microsoft is trying to do it with uh, C-sharp and Blazor, uh, which compiles your C-sharp code to WebAssembly. But I think there are yeah. some pretty big downsides to that approach. WebAssembly is certainly something to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah, definitely. It's exciting. I just haven't like yet seen like, oh, this is like the killer app killer. for WebAssembly. Yeah. yeah. Big time. Well, Sam, this has been awesome. Have we neglected to ask you any questions that you think we should have asked you during this? No, A plus for asking good questions. <laughs> I feel like uh, you brought out my interesting opinions. <laughs> All right. Well, we try, we try. And now we get into a segment called Picks, where we get to talk about kitchen utensils or shows we're watching Ooh. or whatever. So, TJ, when you start us off? 
Yeah, I'm going to pick the movie Megan, which is the, oh, yeah. the like thriller horror movie about an AI doll that sort of goes on a rampage, more or less. It was pretty good. It, it wasn't amazing. I think what made the movie good was that it, it felt way too plausible, what the plot did. <laughs> like, especially wow. with how much we, I mean, we talk AI on this show a lot, or AI is playing a bigger part of our lives that like movie this movie hits a little closer to home than it would have even like two or three years ago <laughs> and i think that's the the chilling part about it but overall it was pretty good it's you know, it's like an hour hour and a half it's very entertaining so how much horror is in it i you know my daughter is that's her name and so we were like oh we gotta go see that you know and you know she's older so it's not that big deal but my wife hates horror like so is it horror horror like what how what's so it's PG thirteen so it's pretty light okay. there there's jump scares that's but like they nice. to keep it PG thirteen they kind of have to cut away at at certain okay. scenes it's definitely not gory because they can't show much and keep the rating so mm-hmm. I mean I took one of my sons who's twelve to see it and he did mostly okay he had to cover his eyes a few times but it's <laughs> it's a pretty good like intro to horror if you have a you if go. you have a kid that's around yeah. the like teenager age. I saw the preview for that, and so I'll say I'm quite surprised, but pleasantly so, that it turned out to be good. It looked kind of cheesy, but I guess it didn't end up being that way. It's it's a little cheesy, but okay. it's it, it's still it's just enjoyable. It's it's fun to see. Cool, and it's got that whole this is the TikTok dance that everybody yeah, <laughs> yeah. Into, you know kind of thing. Cool. Well, Sam, so you have a pick for us? Yeah. So I'm actually from North Carolina, but I'm not in North Carolina right now. I'm in Winter Park, Colorado. So I'm out here skiing for an entire month. And so my pick is definitely like skiing in Colorado. Skiing for an entire month. Yeah, for an entire month. I (laughs) I would say people should not come to Winter Park. It's absolutely the worst resort. It's super crowded. It's just Everything about this place is bad. So you should go somewhere else where I'm not so that I can continue getting the short lift lines. Are um, you being... Are you, are you I'm being totally kidding. It, it's just like, yeah, this is a great place. It's a great place. Uh, you know, there's just kind of, I feel like uh, it's a great place. But if too many people come to a great place, it becomes a little bit less great because uh, it's just crowded and you're waiting in line for a long time. And so that's all I was getting at. So yep. let's say hypothetically you were somebody who's very bad at skiing but still mm. enjoyed doing it. Would I still be okay? Like, am I going to be intimidated off the lifts because I'm going to die going? Oh no, 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 or? no! It's it's not that kind of place. I mean, they have uh, some pretty gentle beginner terrain here, but okay. they also have some terrifying expert terrain that I watched my friend do. <laughs> what does Sam uh, ski? Double black diamond? No, 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 no. That's what I watched my friend do from the bottom yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I'm, so they actually have a blue-black rating here, which is pretty nice, a, a, like an nice. advanced intermediate slope. So I, I do those, and I do the single black diamonds. Uh, I don't know if I will attempt a double black. I like having my legs and knees intact. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> this is what keeps me from skiing, is and it can't, at every age. It's <laughs> like, this is cool, but I don't want to die over this yeah i know i like i I don't think i ever want to ski something where it's like you might die if you fall like that's just not worth it one thing i learned with with my kids that i feel like it's it helps a lot if you can learn it at a young age because Mm -hmm. if you watch like my kids learned when they were like seven or eight and if you fall when you're seven or eight it's no big deal you get right back up whereas i learned in my mid-30s and when i fell i get back up but it take a second and i didn't fall lightly 
Yeah. So. <laughs> I know. I'm he, kind of envious of people who have been doing it since they're like three, because I started at around 24 and 28 now. So like, uh, yeah. you know, it still, still can bounce back up, but uh, maybe don't learn as fast as a child would. Yes. I think you got to be, you know, live or be born in a mountain town. Yeah. Which, you know, where, you know, where you get that for like six months out of the year, you mm-hmm. know, and like every, like the local pizza place has like, you know, skis on the wall and blah, 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 <laughs> yeah. and, you know, that kind of place. And, you know, and then if you live there, it's like, it's no big deal. All your buddies are up, uh, exactly. up on the hill yeah. and all that. Right. And so, yeah, you learn when you're like two. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. guessing there's not many slopes in North Carolina. There actually yeah. are, I believe, five really? resorts in North Carolina. Yeah. It's so like, like on the Appalachian pretty, side of the yeah, state. Exactly. Okay. The Western side. Yeah, it's pretty much the farthest south you can ski on the East Coast. And so the conditions are not great, but if if you're just trying to learn, it's a good place to go. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. My pick this week is going to be a show called Midnight Gospel on Netflix. It is the weirdest thing I've seen in a long time. It helps if you are in a significantly altered state when you watch it. <laughs> um, it is a, a weird combination of animation plus extreme violence plus long 25-minute rants on all kinds of metaphysics and this sort of stuff. It's like people talking about religion and philosophy while at the same time killing zombies and or something like that. And the first episode is great. I think it's got Dr. Drew in it. And he talks about, you know, various things. And it's and it, at the main at the same time, he's like killing zombies and it's hilarious. And they kind of wind it in like so it's supposedly a podcast. It's just the weirdest. I kind of Netflix has this. They the quality is extremely variable kind of thing. Right. But this one, I, I don't know who their target audience is. But I don't even know how they got a green light for this thing. But the fact that it exists is is hilarious. You know, it's like heavy metal. Like, how did they ever the movie? heavy metal like how do they ever get any money for that but that it exists is awesome you know whatever it's great yeah it's i'm looking just over the show and it is uh it is very unique looking i could definitely say that <laughs> that's a word for it's it. usually yeah. not a compliment when someone says it. But, it, yeah. but it can be right it like can in, be in a world where we have a million shows that's right if so. someone told me i was very unique i would not take it that's <laughs> a good thing <laughs> Okay. It might depend on how they said it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think it depends on yeah. the context. Yeah, yeah, it's like that that southern thing where they say, "Oh, you're so special." It's mm, like, that's yeah, not, you don't that's, you don't want to be. God bless you. Special <laughs> in the south. Yeah, bless your heart. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this has been really fun, Sam. Thank Definitely. you for a, a deep education on CSS and JS and the and the issues thereof. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. yeah, we'll see everybody on the next React Roundup. Bye, everybody. Bye.